All right, all right. Hello and welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast, your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. And boy, last night did we have all of that. Just all of it. Oof. I know I say that every week, but man, last night, we'll get into some specific details in a second, but oof. I'm Robert Winfrey. I'm your host for the show. On the docket today, this afternoon, this evening, whenever you happen to be finding us, the UFC was back in Mexico City last night for UFC on ESPN Plus 17, and man, oh man, stuff. Some good, some bad, some dull, some that I have to rant about. I don't like ranting, I really don't, but there's a few things I have to get off my chest about that. So... We'll get to all of that. Also, next week, the UFC is making their promotional debut in Denmark. Uh, That event will start, I believe, the first prelim starts 11 a.m. Eastern time. So we'll have a full rundown of that card. It's, uh, look, what do you want me to say, guys? It's not great on paper. There's a few fights I'm potentially looking forward to, but we kind of, it's another one where we're hoping it's better in practice than in theory. And, of course, news of the week. We had a major fight announcement confirmed. We have some, the UFC indicating a direction that they're going. And uh, a few other things. So, yeah, just news of the week. Relatively slow week. Nothing earth-shattering, but we'll get to all of that. Anyway, back with us this week after a week off last week. Jeff Harris is back, my regular partner in crime. Jeff, how the heck are you? You're lucky to have me back, Robert. You're welcome. Yeah, thanks. You're welcome. I'm sorry I couldn't be on last week, but things got really busy, but I'm happy to be back, so thank you for having me. It's not a problem. I know stuff comes up. I mean, life is, you know, life. Kind of like last night for Jeremy Stevens. Oh, man. (laughs) Described by Rodriguez. But, look, these things, as lame as it was, like, it's what happened last night was no one's fault, really. Other than... Other than maybe Yair Rodriguez for being a little... But he's not the only fighter who's done this, you know? And this has been an issue going back the last 15 years, really, with the eye pokes. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely been a thing. So let's let's start on that real fast. Not, but it's still not intentional, you know? As, as sort of annoying as, and frustrating as... What happened last night was. It was not intentional. It was not malicious. No, I don't think there's any evidence that it was, all things considered. But man, last night, oh man, your main event, Jeremy Stevens and Yair Rodriguez, probably the best fight on paper on this card. A fight, easily the one I was probably looking forward to the most, ends in a no contest after 15 seconds when. An accidental eye poke from Yair Rodriguez renders Jeremy Stevens unable to continue. 15 seconds in. The fight really hadn't even started yet. For the record, this is the second fastest no contest in UFC history. And before anyone gets on Jeremy Stevens' case, this was a really, this was a blatant, not intentional, but it was a blatant eye poke. Like, he was not flopping here. 
Yeah, we've look, seen, we've seen floppers and we've seen guys milk fouls or fouls that weren't even really fouls. Ahem, ahem. Josh, Josh Koshak comes to mind. We're I all think, looking at him. Um, Pedro No, was it Pedro Nobre? Um, it- yeah, I know the one you're referencing. He, yeah, he probably there was a real chance he could have continued after some of those shots to the back of the head, but he just wanted out of that fight, kind of thing. See, that was not to me. That was not even uh, that fight with where um, who was it? I think it was Eric Silva, wasn't it? Yeah, it was Eric Silva in the UFC. That was not a legit loss. I'm sorry. Yeah, because they get they ruled that a DQ. <laughs> Yeah, he got a DQ loss out of that. But I'm just saying that's not what happened here. Like, no. We yeah, cannot, I, can't question the tenacity or integrity of Stevens uh, taking this, this no contest. Because that was... Look, it may just seem like a little eye poke, but I mean, do you guys want to get a, a digit shoved in your eye socket and see how you feel after that? I don't. I wound up talking a little bit about this last week, I think it was, when discussing uh, the the end to the uh, Todd Duffy and Jeff Hughes fight from a couple of weeks ago. Uh, when Todd Duffy couldn't continue after getting poked in the eye. And I'm just not really in a position to throw terrible aspersions at someone after they get poked in the eye if they can't continue it's they don't always look some of the ones that look the worst wind up not actually having the same kind of impact i mean jake matthews when he fought uh lee jing leong jing leong dug into his eye socket he was like a knuckle two knuckles deep in there and matthews kept fighting you don't even realize it until after the fact like it, it can go by so quickly in a fight that you don't even really see it. And then un, until they show it in the replay. Yeah, and in this instance, Yair just threw a kick, and then when trying to frame off of Jeremy's face to kind of keep him from closing distance, he pawed down his face with an open hand, and he his fingers just raked over both of Jeremy Stevens' eyes. And... Stevens reacted to me. I mean, Jeremy Stevens couldn't open his left eye. I don't know what else you want to happen here, guys. You think that when I don't is, know, like Jeremy Stevens, when has he ever tried to flop out of a fight? Yeah, never. That's Jeremy Stevens is one of the guys. That, I'm not a big. Again, I said this against, who fought the who's who of two weight classes. Yeah, I said this again two weeks ago or last week. I can't remember. What, I think it was just last week. I said I'm not a big. I think if a fighter sustains an injury. From a be that from a foul or from a legitimate offensive, you know, uh, technique, and they no longer feel they can fight safely or competitively. I think they should be able to bow out without, you know, facing a ton of remonstrations from the fan base. Well, I mean, it's not even him; it's the doctors, man. If he if he can't open his other eye, he can't really fight. Yeah, yeah, and he couldn't open his left eye. It's. Don't get me wrong, it sucks. I'm not pretending otherwise. But you know, if you re- if you have enough fights repeated over you know, repeated enough times, eventually something like this is bound to happen 
And over enough iterations, it's bound to happen in something like a main event. It. I'm not saying it doesn't it suck. Back, it goes back about two decades. I mean, uh, as I recall, Chuck Liddell had a bit of a notorious reputation for eye pokes. It happened in this fight with his title fight with Couture. Yeah. The five uh, he, stopped. Or, or were, at least at one point we were worried it might get stopped. Yeah, Liddell poked a few. I mean, again, it, it happens. It. John Jones. Jones, yeah. Jones frequently will wind up poking somebody. Cormier uh, poked Stipe a couple of different times. It, again, it does happen. And now, let me ask you, Robert. Is there a problem where are the officials not diligent enough keeping an eye on this and fighters not closing their pops? If we're talking in the broadest possible terms, yes. Uh, I believe, yes, there is a general problem with um, accurately policing that, especially under the new rules. Uh, the newer rule set specifically does say that extending your fingers towards your opponent, if your hand is not either, if your fingers either need to be in a fist, pointed straight down at the canvas, or pointed straight up at the ceiling. If they are in any position other than that when they extend towards your opponent, it's a foul. Well, then that's on the official. That's on the officials. Yeah, and again, that's why. That's why again, if we're talking in the broadest possible terms, yes, there's a generalized problem with how that how that particular foul uh, is policed. Now, now, I get that Yair Rodriguez was frustrated and emotional initially. I will give him credit that uh, sometime later when he was talking to the media, he did cl- he did calm down. So he wasn't. I can I can understand in the moment him acting like that, but I have to give a lot of credit to Michael Bisping for how he handled what was a really explosive uh, post fight situation, and you know him not escalating it and. You know, I think if anyone knows anything about eye pokes and eye injuries, it's Michael Bisping. So, yeah, he well, he doled he out several, that, and he was on the receiving that, end of a few. He handled that very well, uh, considering that Yair was acting very kind of unprofessionally, honestly. After after that happened, because I mean, it was hit. I mean, like it or not, even if it wasn't intentional, it was his fault. Yeah, I got stopped. So I'm I'm going to give him a pass for how he acted here because again, later he did act more calm and more measured, and he was more apologetic. He was more uh, contrite after the fight was over. Yeah, uh, you know, Bisping actually said something that wound up being a little bit uh. I hate to say full-on prophetic, but when Yair was walking to the cage, <clears throat> excuse me, Bisbing on commentary mentioned, you know, sometimes when you have your family and your friends and you're in these high emotional kind of scenarios, it's not a good thing. There's too much emotion for you to really contain and perform optimally. And he referenced one of the times he had his son as one of his cornermen. It only happened once, and he said after the fact, you know, I. I love you, son, but I we can't do this. It's too it's I mean, too difficult for me to deal with. Home, fighting at home and fighting with your family there, it can be a lot of pressure. Yeah. Um, I don't know what it was, but it always kind of stuck with me 
when the UFC finally went to Boston and um, Kenny Florian was fighting there and he fought Gray Maynard and he didn't look like, like the Kenny Florian we knew at the time. He looked depressed. He didn't, it was, that fight was a borderline top contender fight. I uh, believe Maynard got a title shot after that, didn't yeah, he? he did. That was, I think, before his first fight with, uh, or I guess before his uh, first title fight with Frankie, excuse me. But he looked absolutely miserable, and he just uh, didn't look happy to be there. And he he looked, I mean, I think for, my understanding, this was his first fight in his hometown, for the U, uh, at least with the UFC. So I was very just sort of, man, he just doesn't look excited to be there. And I even, um, what was it? I think when he was the host of UFC Tonight, I've heard, I heard him speak about just sort of the pressures of fighting at home and how it can be even more daunting than, I guess, fighting on someone else's rival turf. Yeah, it, it certainly can be. And that did seem to get the best of Yair Rodriguez after the fight was called off. And... Again, it it sucks for I mean, all parties. I mean, I mean, he has fought in Mexico before under the UFC banner, so it's mm-hmm. um has he fought main event in Mexico before though? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Last last time he was in Mexico was uh, for the UFC was what UFC 188, in yeah. which case he was absolutely not the main event. Right, and then. His other time was 180, where he won Tough Latin America. It was not the main event there either. No, but he would have been featured rather prominently on that yeah. one. So, I, I guess this was his first UFC main event setting in Mexico. So, maybe maybe that. But but also, you know, the it was a freak thing. And freak things happen here and there in the sport. It's not fun but it's unfortunately part of the sport just like failed drug test results fighters missing weight and all sorts of chaos and shenanigans that go on it's it's part and parcel yeah this is a fundamentally i've said it before this is a fundamentally insane sport at the moment and and i mean look this fight you know it was big for the fans in mexico but this fight wasn't really that big of a fight in the grand scheme of things other than that, y- Yaya Rodriguez, you know, he, he he's a big face for the, the Mexican fan base and for UFC in Mexico. And he was coming off a good win over Korean Zombie. Um, Stevens is still in the top 10, but uh, he was coming off back-to-back losses. Granted, one of those is to Jose Aldo. And um, I guess Zabit, you know, he's on his way in a potential... Zabit's, Zabit's definitely a rising yeah, prospect a rising, slash contender. Yeah, rising contender. You know, but I mean, this wasn't a huge fight card. Let's be honest. No, and it was. A, this was a transitional show. Much like the week before, and much like next week. Yeah, pretty much. We're we're just in a bit of a we're in a bit of a you know. A, I guess what I'm trying to say, it's not like this happened on a huge pay-per-view card. No, and somewhat fortunately, because we've seen chaos erupt after the biggest UFC pay-per-view. And I just, I very briefly have to say this to the people who were in attendance. Um, Look, 
throwing things at the fighters is absolutely unacceptable. I was not okay with the Brazilians throwing crap at Colby Covington after he deliberately said inflammatory and derogatory things about them. I was not okay with people throwing crap at Khabib Nurmagomedov after he jumped the cage and went after Conor McGregor's cornerman. I can somewhat at least understand parts of the logic there, even if I think, you know what, you're adults. Someone says something mean to you, you don't get to throw crap at them. That's not how this works. To everyone who threw crap at Jeremy Stevens for being unable to see and therefore not being allowed to fight, shame on you. That's disgusting. The fact that he was pelted with popcorn and ice and uh, plastic bottles and whatnot after that fight is absolutely disgraceful behavior. Glass in there? I hope not. No, I think they all. I I think it's all plastic. I don't think they serve glass stuff. I hate. I hate. I hate to see that happen too. It reflects badly on the fans. Um, I was a little bit. Upset with Yair. I think Yair was almost sort of approving of the fan reaction. Uh, I don't want to misquote him, but yeah. He said some things about the way the fans acted that kind of didn't sit well with me. I need to go back and rewatch that video, but yeah. Well, the only thing I, and I don't speak Spanish, so I'm accepting the generally accepted translation. When Michael Bisbing came up to interview him, he turned around and referred to Bisbing as a one-eyed pig. So he was... Um, I've heard, I don't know if he was, I heard he was saying some derogatory comments, some belligerent comments. I don't know if he was directing them at Bisbing or Stevens, though. It's entirely possible. Again, I'm I only Yair knows his but, specific intent. But again, I think I think Bisbing deserves a lot of credit for keeping his cool in that situation and not escalating it. And you know, being you know, and Bisbing has had his had his he's had his moments and he's had his um indiscretion, shall we say, in the sport. Like remember the thing with Jorge Rivera. Yep. After the foul, spitting in the corner, flicking off his corner. Um, so in this case, so in this specific individual case, he deserves a lot of credit for his professionalism and for not escalating the situation and for you know trying to keep it calm. Like he didn't, he didn't, um, he didn't act in an aggressive manner toward Yair, which he uh, very well could have. Yeah, he, again, credit to Bisbing for just being a professional in that situation. Uh, credit to Herb Dean, who was the referee in this instance, for knowing the rule set he was operating under and knowing what he could and couldn't do. Okay. He was uh, because the normal course of action, and some of this varies depending on the specific set of rules or whatnot you're under. And there's actually a little bit of. Uh, I hate that I have to go over this on occasion. I think the UFC was self-regulating. I'm not sure what the Mexican... uh, I'm not sure uh, whether or not there was a relevant athletic commission or governing body uh, in Mexico for this in this instance. But when the UFC self-regulates, they do this weird thing where they 
tend to operate under the new rules for the majority of the time, but their default in, in a lot of respects is also the Nevada rules rather than the quote-unquote unified rules, which provides a little bit of odd wrinkles from a regulatory standpoint. And believe me, if you're frustrated listening to going, oh, God, what rule set are we under? Trust me, I feel for you. You have nothing but my empathy. Again, I, I don't know why we can't figure this out where there just can't be one regulatory body made up of the commissions that agrees to ratify one rule set, one, one, one officiating body for combat sports in general. Cause well, just, it, well, I mean, in this instance, it wouldn't even matter because we're talking about an international card. Right. But the point being, in certain instances, the procedure for a, a foul of this nature is the doctor comes in examines the fighter and then has to make a determination about whether or not the fight can continue now in all instances if you're on the receiving end of a low blow because the doctor cannot actually examine you you get five minutes to do with what you will and then make your own determination in this instance because and again i'm not sure entirely of the specifics but the way it worked out the referee having observed the foul was able to utilize some part of the discretionary time that was given to make a determination about how he wanted to proceed. Herb Dean said he just, you know, he got uh, poked slash raked in the eye. I'm going to give him the five minutes that a fouled fighter gets. And we're going to see because what I, what Herb Dean thought was happening was the eye is spasming so hard that the eyelid won't open. I'm going to give him the five minutes, see if it'll stop and you can actually examine his eye. Unfortunately for Jeremy Stevens and all other parties, after five minutes, his eyes still wouldn't open. And the precedent here is clear, guys. If you can't see, you can't fight. And that left no choice but for the fight to be waved off. But I wanted to give, because, you know, Herb Dean, as with all high-profile referees, they have their hits, they have their misses. He did an exceptional job in this particular instance, and I just wanted to make sure he got kudos for that. All right. Uh, I think we can just do hit fix, the uh, quick hits for the rest of the card, and then just dive into next week. Yeah, again, this was a weird night. Um, <laughs> so in your co-main event, Carla Esparza defeats Alexa Grasso via majority decision. One twenty-eight, twenty-eight draw, and then two twenty-nine, twenty-eights for Esparza. Doing this live, I was twenty-nine, twenty-eight Grasso because I thought Alexa won the first round. General consensus seems to be I am mistaken about this, which I am is certainly a possibility. I will have to rewatch that round with a much more discerning eye than I was. I'm able to give when live blogging. Now, I thought she edged it out, but it wasn't like an emphatic victory to me. And I also have no issue with Grosso getting a 10-8 third. She had a very near arm bar and she had a near knockout finish at one point. Uh, I didn't give I her a 10-8 third. Could have been a draw. We, there was another draw on this card, and I would not have hated a draw in this fight, in all honesty. The Moreno, yeah. Um, I know some people have been saying that Alexa Grasso's stock goes up even in defeat. I'm going to call BS on that for a couple of very specific reasons. Okay, First of all, as a general premise, I accept that your stock can go up despite you losing a fight. That's absolutely a thing. I don't think that's the case here 
primarily because Grosso had opportunities to, and look, the arm bar, fine. Carlos Barza's arms are made of rubber. Like, her elbow was bent the wrong way a significant number of degrees. How she didn't tap, I don't know. I'd have been tapping long before that. And I, <laughs> I've, ha- I've been in an arm bar once or twice. Does not take near that degree of torque to get me to submit most of the time. If I'm fighting for my life, maybe my arm will break. But if I'm, you know, even if I were like prize fighting, I don't know. I probably would have, I probably would have tapped. Uh, but she badly hurt her with punches and then proceeded to let her off the hook. It was just not the highest display of fight IQ. Her takedown defense in open space is a bit of an issue. And that's something that should have been ironed out by now. I'm, Again, I've been very, very high on Alexa Grasso on this podcast and other places where I write. But this was not really, I don't, again, I just, I don't think her profile rose in a positive fashion after this performance. Uh, Just me. Again, you might feel differently. Fair enough. If I, and if enough people feel differently, then I am in the wrong because stock is purely a perceptive issue. But that's my take. Um, Esparza, I think I said on Twitter, you know, I, I really think she should get her rematch with Ioana. Um, <laughs> I know Ioana's going to be fighting, uh, Michelle Waterson in the near future. So the, but Carla against the loser of that fight is probably the direction things are going to go for her. Um, the crowd deeply pissed off about this decision and given how strong Grasso closed, I can't say I, again, there's, I can accept that, you know, Esparza won two rounds and maybe, and apparently to the, to two of the three people that matter, didn't lose the third by enough to justify a 10-8. Fine. I can, again, I can accept that even if I disagree with it. But she, what was it? She was deeply apologetic in her tone, basically after the fight, because the crowd was deeply, deeply pissed. And a lot of crowds react badly to decisions that go the way of a fighter who loses the last round, even if mathematically they should win. And I I understand you can argue Esparza didn't, but even in fights where the other fighter clearly won, when they drop the third, there tends to be a negative reaction. Add in the, you know, home country animus, and yeah, uh, they were just not having it. Uh, Yeah. Again, odd fight. I would have preferred a draw, I think. But I think MMA could use more draws, as also evidenced by Brandon Moreno and Askar Askarov going to a split draw. There was 129-28 for Askarov, 130-27 for Moreno, which I'm calling BS on, and then a 28-28, which is perfectly fair. Uh, I, The judge who went 30-27 Moreno needs to have their eyesight checked. I don't think you can give Moreno. I don't think you give Moreno. I can't remember if it's the first or second. I think Moreno himself said he thought he lost the second. I was, I, for me, it was kind of the first round that I thought he clearly lost, but he had a, and I didn't think he did enough. My opinion. I don't think Moreno did enough in the third to win a 10, eight, but I also think it's a, it's probably a somewhat acceptable decision uh, if you're a judge to score that fight 10-8 for Moreno. 
I again, I take issue with 30-27. I don't take issue with the result. Uh, I think a draw is a perfectly fair outcome here. A perfectly reasonable one based on the action, the scoring system, and criteria. And I think MMA could use more draws, in all honesty. It's unsatisfying for a lot of people in a lot of ways, but if we're talking about the sport as a whole, I think the increased possibility of draws is a net positive. You might disagree, and fair enough if you do, but that's my take. Um, Irene Aldana put a beating on the human heavy bag, Vanessa Mello, uh, 30-26 across the board. Mello missed, took this fight on short notice. She also missed weight by five pounds. Uh, not a good look. Um, you know, when Aldana's given fights that she can perform comfortably in, she looks really good. And she was very, very comfortable here. Uh, your knockout of the night and a knockout of the year contender. Steven Peterson defeats Martin Bravo via spinning back fist, uh, minute 31 into the second round. Um, Bravo tried a spinning back fist, and if you don't watch a lot of, uh, you know, like karate competitions, you may not know how effective a spinning counter is to a spinning attack. For those unfamiliar with how and why that works, here's a good example. I don't think either guy is a UFC caliber fighter, but an absolutely spectacular finish. On the prelims, uh, Jose Alberto Quinones defeated Carlos Huachin via unanimous decision, 30-27 across the board. Quinones is just the better fighter everywhere. Um, another <laughs> another, uh, rea- another uh, finish that annoyed the home crowd, Kyle Nelson defeated uh, Polo Reyes via TKO in the uh, 1 minute and 36 seconds into the first round. This was Reyes dropping to featherweight for the first time, and his chin is not what it was at lightweight. Nelson backed him into the fence, cut him with an elbow that wobbled him, clobbered him with an overhand. Um, I know he was still standing when the ref stopped this fight, but this was absolutely an appropriate stoppage by Jason Herzog in this instance. Um, Nelson just knocked him unconscious on his feet. Uh, Nelson's first UFC win, much needed for him. Uh, Angela Hill defeated Ariana Carnalosi via doctor stoppage a minute and 56 seconds into the third round when she opened up a fight-ending cut uh, across Carnalosi's left eye. Uh, you know, decent enough fight while it lasted. Sergio Pettis defeated Tyson Nam via unanimous decision, 30-27 across the boards. Uh, Nam took this fight on short notice. Uh, Pettis was originally supposed to fight Alex Perez. Um... This was Pettis returning to flyweight. Uh, Look, Sergio Pettis is a very, very good technician. And a lot of that was on display here. Solid technical work, very good footwork, good angling, good turning. Who is just never really going to get people to care about him. And I hate to... And look, I'm on record. Finishes do not make you a good fighter. Finishes do not mean a fight is exciting. But Sergio Pettis has not finished a fight in his entire UFC run. And when you get something like that, especially against some of the level of opposition he's faced, he's faced some of the cream of the crop. He's fought, you know, Benavidez when Benavidez was horribly rusty and just forgot how to strike, and Pettis kind of schooled him. He's fought Henry Cejudo. He's fought a lot of the top guys. He's also fought guys not near the top. And he tends to do the same. Um, Again, 
I don't have anything against Sergio, and I've stumped for this division more general uh, generally, but I I think we've seen basically what's up with Sergio at this point. Uh, Paul Craig defeated Vinicius Mojea via submission, rear naked choke, three minutes and nineteen seconds into the first round. Paul Craig just showing the value of appropriately mixing together the martial arts. He kneed Mahea in the head a couple of times in the clinch along the fence. That dropped him. Then he grabbed the back. Both hooks in. Rear naked choke. That's all she wrote. Um, Craig mentioned this was his last fight on his current UFC deal. You know, Paul Craig's never going to be champion. But he's the kind of guy you definitely want around, especially in a division as talent and interest-starved as light heavyweight. So I expect he'll be back. Um, Betch Kohea defeated Sajara Eubanks via unanimous decision, 29-28 across the boards. This, I think I said, of all the women's bantamweight fights I've seen, this was certainly one of them. It existed. And kicking everything off, Claudio Pues defeated Marcos Rosa Mariano via unanimous decision, 30-25 across the boards. Mariano is not a UFC caliber fighter. I'm not entirely sure Pues is, but he was much, much better than Mariano, as the scores reflect. All right, Jeff, what do you want to talk about from that? What burning desires do you have? Sorry, I don't really have any, Robert. That's all right. It was one of those night of fights. I completely... I Look, I, let me let me say, preface, preface what I'm about to say with this. I don't care if you don't comment on what I write. If you have nothing to say, if you just read, I all I care is that you read. If you, again, if you're not, if you don't want to make an account to comment, if you don't want to, if you don't think there's anything worth commenting on, I understand. I don't blame you. This is not me saying, please, please keep me company. But up until the actual, like literally the co-main event, when people actually said anything about this, uh, again, in my live coverage. Now, that's all the metrics I have access to. I don't, again, I don't especially care all that much about my traffic. If there's anybody out there reading, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep doing my best, and that's all I can do. But there was just, just no one cared about this card. Oh, it was kind of sad because, again, we had a couple of decent fights. I mean, Esparza and Grasso was a decent fight. We had some decent it, finishes. They drew good crowds, so to say no one cared is kind of... I mean, I mean more generally. They're like, Yeah, they did. They drew a good crowd. They drew a crowd that cared. 10,000 people there, and they were all jacked to see Yair Rodriguez. I mean, yeah, that, they had that going for it. Yeah, it. It did very well locally. I just mean, you know, again... In terms of, like, the wider MMA audience. It wasn't a big event. It was kind of like an event that was there. Yes. And I expect that will be the same thing we're saying next week. Because next week... I mean, there's some good fighters. There's some good fights. But um, not a lot of major matchups outside the main event. Yeah, next week, UFC on ESPN Plus 18. This is the, uh, we mentioned earlier, their promotional debut in Denmark. And I like the main event. I really do. I mean. Uh, You have Jack Hermanson versus Jared Cannonier as your main event. Now, Jack Hermanson, on a career best run, especially in the UFC, 
He's on a four-fight winning streak. Three of those are finishes, and he's coming off a win over Jacare that sent Jacare up a division. Uh, Hermanson is definitely on the rolling side of things right now. In fact, I mean, he's only lost twice in the UFC. He has a really good UFC record overall. Jeez. This will be his third fight in 2019. And in all honesty, if he, in 2019, beats Dave Branch, Jacare Souza, and Jared Cannonier, he's that's, on- a heck, that's a heck of a year. Very close to the title picture. Um, and if for Cannonier, this would be a huge win if he were able to beat, you know... a more legit contender like Hermanson over old Anderson Silva and David Branch, who is pretty much irrelevant at this point. Let's be honest. Yeah. Again, now he is, especially with that fail. I think he failed a drug test this last week. Yeah, I think he's, he's out for two years. Yeah. But you know, I mean, you mentioned Cannoneer. He finished David Branch, finished Anderson Silva. Right. If he also beats Jack Hermanson, I mean, you know, Jared, we're all a little bit kind of uh, maybe a little jaded on Cannoneer because he's like, been... Cannoneer has never been anything special. He's not demonstrated it to this point, but he's undefeated at middleweight. Yeah, two fight. Yeah, two fights into his middleweight run, one of which was a fight against Anderson Silva at 44 years old. Again, I'm happy to put the appropriate caveats on there, and that is one okay. of them. But if he, he really if he, ever been, ha, I mean, has David Branch ever been that impressive in the UFC? In the UFC, no. He's, well. Other than, I mean, can we even be sure he was legit in that Tiago Santos fight? He's as, he was as legit as Tiago Santos. I mean, he, re, he came back to the UFC, had, a, had an awful fight with Christoph Yako. Boy, was it. That fight was garbage. Got finished by Luke Rockhold. I mean, quite frankly, I'm not even sure they should keep him under contract. Well, they'll they'll keep him under contract for the duration of his suspension. Otherwise, it means nothing. Well. I mean that in all seriousness, and I think we've talked about this a bit in the past. That's what I'm trying to get at here is, like, Hermanson should clearly be the favorite here, and this is his fight to lose, basically. In a lot of respects, yes. And we basically see this as a stepping stone for him possibly getting into the title picture or a major title eliminator fight, which if he wins this fight, he would definitely deserve an opportunity like that, I think. If he wins this fight, you could also, depending on how the middleweight title picture shakes, he could be the next title contender depending on who's injured and who's available if he wins here. Yeah, just because Gastelum's fighting... He's fighting Darren Till. We're getting the Adesanya Whitaker fight. Hopefully. We do, but we don't know. We need to see how that plays out. But yeah, I mean, again, depend. Has to get, but he has to be able to get past. He has to be able to look good, and he has to get past Cannoneer, who's who has back-to-back wins at this point. So we'll see. Yeah, it, it's a pretty good fight. I like. I, I like Hermanson, all things considered. It's not a great fight. I mean... It's perfectly appropriate to main event this type of card. For an, ES, for, for an international ESPN card, 
plus card, I, I think it's okay. Yeah, I I have no issues with this being the main event. Um, and, and again, it's a good fight. Yeah. Uh, the rest of this card, though, wait. Um, I don't even know where to go with this. You know, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go through the rest of this. We can do this, um, you know, relatively yeah. fast style because there's there's not a lot here, guys. There's a, there's a couple interesting fighters, but. Yeah, like, there's a few hidden gems that might pan out, but... I agree. Uh, your co-main event right now is Mark Madsen and Danilo uh, Beloardo. Depending on where he's from, that's pronounced differently. Which means I need to see where he's from. And Madsen's from Denmark, so that's why this fight is getting that spot. Uh, okay, oh. hang on. My, my, uh, my list of who's fighting when might he's be inaccurate. Italy. Uh. Belliardo is from Italy, so we have Denmark versus Italy. Here. Okay, right, uh, I'm gonna go with a. Okay, this is a different bout order, but I think this one's probably more accurate. So Hermanson and Kenanier, co-main event, uh, Gunnar Nelson and Gilbert Burns. That's a decent fight. Yeah, this is a pretty good. This was originally Gunnar Nelson and Tiago Alves. Alves fell out. Gilbert Burns steps in. Actually, I think this fight is better, honestly. In the Alves fight? Yeah, I can see that. Nelson, I think Burns should probably be the co-main event. Again, the other bout order I have does list this as the co-main event, and I think that's correct. Okay. You might be right then. So, again, because some of these fights have fallen out recently, so the bout order may not be accurately represented depending on where you're looking. So I'm going with this, and I'm assuming this is the co-main event. Um, If those two hit the mat, there's a lot of fun that could be had between those two. Um Gilbert Burns is on a pretty decent run. Uh, he's coming off of uh, that win That's over Alexei Kuchenko. He has a good record, and he's won his last three. I mean, yeah, his only losses in the UFC are to Rashid Magomedov, Michelle Prezeresh, and Dan Hooker. Uh, and He's 9-3. That's a pretty exceptional record. Especially across lightweight and welterweight. Like, that's, really? He's done really good. So I'm looking forward to that fight. If you're a grappling fan, that has a lot of potential. Both those guys are superb grapplers. Uh, I'm actually leaning towards Burns. I think he has better striking defense, and Nelson can be hit. And Burns packs some pretty serious power. Uh, next up, we have Ovent St. Prue and Mikhail Oleksajuk. Oleksajuk had a surprisingly good... Um, he's fought twice in the UFC, right? Three times, geez. Yeah, he beat Khalil Roundtree Jr. That got turned, that got changed to a no contest. Uh, he knocked out John Volante with a body shot. Knocked out Gazimirad onto Gulov. He's he. If you're not watching enough of these fights, you may not be all that familiar with him. But uh, he's a legitimate prospect, and he's getting a step up here against Ovin St. Prue who's coming off of the loss to Nikita Krylov, if memory serves. Uh, yeah, he's on a two-fight losing streak. Only one and three in his last four, jeez. And he was losing that Tyson-Pedro fight. Pedro should have won that if he wasn't if he didn't fight like a moron. I'm actually going to go with Oleksajic here. I think he, this might be a bit of a stepping stone for him. Um, let's see. Alan Amadovsky will fight John Phillips. Oh, John Phillips. 
Okay, hang on. Yeah, okay. I'm going with this list because the bout order is apparently not completely finalized yet. So this is what I'm going with, and we're just going to deal with that. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Uh, yeah, Phillips is 0-3 in the UFC. I thought he won the Marshman fight, but yeah, the others were not all that competitive. Amadovsky is Moldovan? Macedonian, that was it. Uh, lost his UFC debut to Christoph Yatko, but didn't look terrible. I think he'll probably win here. Um, Iwan Kutelaba and Khalil Roundtree should be fun for as long as it lasts. I'm actually going with Kutalaba here. I think he's probably going to bulldoze Roundtree, but Roundtree looked easily the best he's looked ever in his last fight, so he might have finally turned the corner. Uh, Macy Shreson will fight Lena Landsberg. Uh, I know Lena Landsberg is the regional uh, kind of inclusion. She's Swedish, but Macy Shreson is kind of the real deal, and I think she'll probably get this one. Alessio DiCirico will fight uh, Mahmed Muradov. Is that the Azerbaijan flag? Uzbekistan. How did I get those confused? I suck. He might be the first Uzbek in uh, the UFC. He's on a very long winning streak. Jeez, 10 fights. 10 or 11 fights. I'm not going to count on air. Uh, Coming into his UFC debut... I mean, that said, DeChirico is no gimme. Um, coming off the loss to Kevin Holland. Yeah, I should pick DeChirico. Yeah, I'm going to. I'm going to go with DeChirico there. Uh, here's one of your fights that could be good. Uh, Nicholas Dalby's back in the UFC after the bloodbath of his last fight outside of it. Uh, he'll be fighting probably the dirtiest fighter in the UFC, Alex Oliveira. Uh, I kind of like Dalby here, but Oliveira is both a dirty and a rugged fighter, so we'll find out more specifically when they get in the cage. Uh, Mark Madsen will fight uh, Danilo Bellowardo, and if he's Italian, I'm going with the double L's. Um, 8-0 versus 12-4. Probably going to go with Madsen there, but that that could go either way. Um, Ciar Bahadurzada's back. Good for him. Still kicking around. Coming off the loss to Curtis Millender. That broke a three or four fight winning streak. Uh, he'll be fighting Ismail Narudiev, who I was pretty high on. And then he just had a couple of boneheaded decisions that cost him the chance for encounter fight. But he he did okay in that fight for periods of it. But eh, just not very adept at wall walking. And Rencounter is a human blanket. There's some serious potential there, though. I actually am going to pick Narudiev. Uh, Mark Jacquesi will fight Lando Venata. That's not a bad fight. Uh, Jacquesi's had a few... He's had some ups and downs. Uh, won his last fight, didn't he? Yeah, he broke a three-fight losing streak by winning a decision over Joe Duffy. Whereas Venata, uh, coming off a win... Jeez, he's had two draws in the UFC. Like, just in the UFC. I'm going to go with Venata there, but I'm not. Uh, again, that one might go either way because Venata is, well, a very tough out, a guy that has been proven to be able to, you know, people can get him out of there. Uh, Noelin Hernandez will fight Jack Shore. Hernandez has fought in the UFC before. Uh, lost, 
lost his UFC debut to Marlon Vera. And Shore is undefeated 11-0 and and is coming into his UFC debut. Um, actually, I'm going to go with Hernandez there. I'm always iffy on guys who are, you know, undefeated, but have, like, only regional-level opposition. And kicking everything off, um, Giga Chikadze is from Georgia, right? This would be the country, not the state. Yeah, he's Georgian. There's a different way to pronounce that DZE in with with the where they're from, but I can't remember it off the top of my head. Go so I'm gonna go with Chikaze until I am properly corrected. Who's coming into his UFC debut against Brandon Davis, who I'm not entirely sure is a UFC caliber fighter. I mean, his only wins in the UFC over Steven Peterson, who I do not consider a UFC caliber fighter, and Randy Costa, who I also do not consider a UFC caliber fighter. Um, probably go with Davis here, but again, Davis is a very beatable opponent. And if his opponent is willing, is you know, able to exploit that, uh, it wouldn't shock me at all. Again, that's uh, that's kind of a coin flip as far as that goes. All right, Jeff, that is our list of fights. Again, I'm not sure on the order of that, but I can only go with what I think is reasonable and was put in front of me. So what's uh, what stands out to you? Again, there's a, there's a handful of fights there that you can potentially get excited about. So what sticks out to you? Mm, Burns versus Nelson is a good fight. All right. It is. I mean, <laughs> it's a good fight. Uh, remember, again, this will this will be doing the prime time on location thing. So the first prelim starts at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on Saturday. So if you want to watch the fights, adjust your internal clocks accordingly. I will have coverage in the MMA Zone of 411 Mania per usual. So stop by. Say hello if you're so inclined. I always appreciate it. I just got an email from Disney. Disney Plus public pre-orders are now live. Monthly and annual subscriptions with seven-day free trials available for early sign-up at DisneyPlus.com. Everybody should jump on that. It's a good deal. They've got a really, they've if actually got a really okay nice with, bundle. If you're okay with streaming media and everything and not owning your content, but I mean, you know, that's kind of what everyone's doing these days. But if you yeah. want to buy digital copies. Amazon will have them. There's actually a really nice bundle with the with Disney Plus, ESPN Plus, and um, wasn't it Hulu? Yes. That's a really nice deal, actually, for right. all three of those. Yeah, uh, I, we're I, not paid for that, so that's just my. I, the, uh, I did the. Uh, you know, I say all this when I'm the one at D23 who did the, the um, the founders program. So, I did three years for 140. So basically less at it, but basically it's at a rate of about, uh, just under $4 a month. So, I mean, that's, that's less than a cup of coffee at this point. Pretty much. <laughs> I mean, that's I don't drink, I don't drink coffee, but I mean, it's less, you know, there's a lot of things that are significantly more expensive per month than that. Right. It's All a, right. That I thought was a, I mean, a fair deal considering. 
honest, I mean, honestly, I'm barely hanging on to Netflix at this point. Uh, yeah, it's I don't know. It's kind of an if it's kind of an iffy thing. I'm almost ready to part with Netflix, quite frankly. I imagine it's Netflix is probably going to be wind wind up being one of those things that you might cycle in and out of depending on what they have available. Um, but they got rid of all the Marvel shows I liked. I'm very invested in The Witcher, which I'm very excited about, but we'll see. Yeah, Netflix needs uh needs something now that they're losing all the Disney stuff. All right. Uh big news coming out of the event last night. It was it was di- uh confirmed on the broadcast at least. UFC 245 gets its second official title fight. This time uh for the featherweight belt, champion Max Holloway and number 1 contender Alexander Volkanovsky will be squaring off. Oh, is uh, that official? Yeah, they confirmed that yesterday. Fantastic. Uh, the other UFC, good on you, Dana White. The other title fight currently announced for that card is Amanda Nunes and Jermaine Durandamy for the bantamweight belt. Ugh. And apparently they're working on a third title fight. Um, okay. Which I'm not opposed to. I uh, mean, it's the end of the you know last number pay per view of the year. Loaded up a little bit. Yeah. I mean, you have to because there's a good chance we're not going to get three title fights. Just knowing history, there's a good chance one of those fights falls off. Yeah, that's true. And look, you know I love Max Holloway, but Max Holloway had a period where he was having trouble making it to fights. That's true. Um, This is a great, great fight. I've been a believer in Alexander Volkanovsky not quite since his UFC debut, but close to it. Honestly, and, I think Volkanovski should have gotten the title opportunity over Frankie. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Uh, on the plus side, you know, Volkanovski also beat Jose Aldo, <laughs> uh, which is not a thing that too many people have done. All right. So I'm uh, really excited for that Back fight. Finish Jose twice. Again, th- like the only. Th- Jose Aldo's lost a grand to-, to a grand total of three people at featherweight. Connor, Max, and Volkanovski. That's it. The Connor fight was a lifetime ago. Sure feels that way, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, it was it was just over just over six years. Uh, don't remind me how old I am. I was. Uh, Lost to Dustin Poirier, who Poirier, who just um, lost a tough fight against Habib, the, the lightweight title, and Dennis Bermudez, who was you know tough opponent at that time. Lost a split decision. That, in all fairness, he sh- probably should have won. Um, but yeah, to- but yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to that fight. Arguably, Max has a claim he 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 has a claim he's one of the greatest if not the greatest ufc featherweight champion ever he's certainly again he he's certainly you can make that case and you can make a very strong case in favor of him um volkanovsky asks some very interesting questions of max holloway and i'm looking forward to seeing how it plays out um so definitely looking forward to that one um also coming out of still like max in that fight 
I lean towards Max. I do. Mainly because of the, you know. But Ortega looked like one of his. Ortega looked like a much, much uh, tougher matchup, honestly, and he was able to deal with that. Ortega was more hyped. Hang on. Ortega was more hyped and was a bit more of a dangerous finisher than Volkanovski is in some respects. But Volkanovski is also not. Volkanovski is a more polished striker than Brian Ortega. It was like I was eating Jack in the Box before that fight. I mean, really, man? (laughs) So, yeah, again, great, great fight. Volkanovski's pressure is going to be an interesting thing for Max to deal with because he's normally the, while he can deal with it in some respects, Volkanovski's a more relentless pressure fighter than he's had to deal with. Technical, and he has power. Has power, has wrestling, has clinch fighting, has fighting along the fence. Cardio, too. Cardio for days. Great, great fight. Really looking forward to that one. Um, Let's see. Lat... uh, I'm just happy Volkanovski is getting that fight because he deserves it. Argue, again, I kind of agree with you. He should have got it over Frankie, but yeah, much. Yeah. I mean, he's unbeaten in the UFC. He only has one career, has only lost once in his career, was once earlier in his career, um, was six years ago. So it's kind of, you know, he's he's legit. Well, his last two fights, I believe his last two, he finished... Number two featherweight in the UFC right now. So it's, yeah. you got, maybe arguably not the world, but you got legit the number one and number two featherweights going up against each other right here. Yeah. I think you can agree. I mean, Volkanovski's last two fights, he knocked out Chad Mendez and beat Jose Aldo. Like, I mean, and Jose Aldo is still going strong. Yeah, he's still a very, he's still a very dangerous he's fighter. He's still, you know... Apparently. Knocking out Jeremy Stevens and Hanato Moicano. And look, Stevens and Moicano, uh, they were top contenders at the time. Darn right. So, I love this matchup. I wanted Aldo, I wanted Volkanovski to get the title shot after he beat Aldo, really. But, um, look, Max, you know, he may not be a lightweight champion, but... He has proven, more than proven, he's one of the greatest featherweights of all time. Without yeah. a doubt. Without, without a doubt. Absolutely. It's in a Rafael dos Anjos situation. He has legit proven it. Because he beat Jose Aldo, finished Jose Aldo twice. Uh, beat the undefeated Brian Ortega. Finished him. Finished him. And dominated Frankie Edgar, who was still a top contender. And is a former lightweight champion in the UFC. So, plus all the all the plus all the other fights he dominated, getting to the title. Um, uh, Ricardo Lamas, a former title contender. Anthony Pettis, a former champion. Cub Swanson, you know, perennial top ten, top five featherweight um, at that time. So he has. He has more of that pedigree than Dos Anjos did as champion, I would think. Oh, yeah. Plus, he's – how many – let's see. How many title defenses? He's had three – he has three title defenses under his belt. So, he's on his way. Yeah. Uh, again, I'm definitely looking forward to that one. Uh, okay. Right. News coming – also news coming out of yesterday. 
the UFC, now this has not been announced as far as a date or anything signed, but apparently the UFC is working towards a trilogy fight between Daniel Cormier and now UFC heavyweight champion Stipe Miocic. I don't know how I feel about that. I don't feel great about that. Now, Dana White was talking about this on Barstool Sports in an interview with Barstool Sports, and it's not official. Like, no, it, it says they're working on this, so we'll yeah, see. That's the direction they want to go. For all we know, and you know what? This could just be Dana White, you know, testing the waters and seeing how the MMA community feels about this fight. Could he be. might not even be. He might not even be committed. I'm not saying that's the case, but it wouldn't surprise me. That's it's, happened before. That has absolutely happened before. Um, if they go that route. I don't I mean, know. It, w- it would piss off Francis Ngannou. Well, Ngannou's title hopes were dashed when Stipe reclaimed the belt. Like, well, and look, well, that's that's. I, that's I don't see. In my opinion, in my opinion, Francis never beat Stipe in a title fight. I yeah. Again, if it was so Cormier, this, on one hand, this might be good for Francis in the long run. We'll see. Yeah, if Cormier had retained that belt and was going to fight again. And, you know, the John Jones thing just was off the table for whatever reason. I would have been interested in Francis and Cormier. I would have picked Cormier, but I would have been interested in the fight. But I'm not interested in seeing Steve A.B. I'm interested in staying around longer to fight a guy like Francis. You know, 40 years old. Here's my now. Here's the issues I have with this fight. And this is just my personal um, thoughts. It's not going to get any easier for Daniel Cormier to walk uh, Cormier to walk away at this point. It's only going to get harder. He's already gone past his own sort of sanction that I'm retiring at 40. So he's already sort of broken that. And he he, I mean, it wasn't a horrendous knockout. But he got he he was winning the fight, but he did lose. He got finished, and it's not going to get easier at this point. It's only and does he want? We see fighters get older, and those losses start to pile up. Robert, those guys who who were just the cream, the you know the cream of the crop, who were at the top of the world, they kind of start winding down and they start losing. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen here. But it we, uh, we it does happen to it, avoid, it happens have, to everyone they keep over enough period over a long enough period of time, and they keep putting it off. They keep putting that end end date off because they don't want to go out on a loss, and then they keep fighting past the point they should because they they want that win and to go out on a high note, and they want to choose the terms they go out on. But then they, they get a win and they feel like they should keep going to make another run for it. And, and it's a vicious cycle. And I understand why, why Cormier would want to do this and why he doesn't want to go out this way. But And I hate playing the what-if scenario, but what if he loses here? What, what is he gonna, what's he going to do then? Is he comfortable walking away with two back-to-back title losses. Is he okay with that? 
because that's not the way he wanted to go out. He want he said he wanted to dictate the terms on, and he wants to go out like on top. So so what is he to do in a situation where he loses back to back title fights, and suddenly everything he hoped and dreamed of of the way he wanted to go out on, it's all gone. So like what what is he looking for here? I don't know. I, I agree with you. Again, it's... And, and, and you know what? Look, every fight, every fighter, every fighter, every fight is a gamble, Robert, right? It's a huge roll of the dice. And it's not just your career and livelihood. It's it's your very life at stake. Every yeah, people fight. People die. Every fight. So, I guess I just don't know why, Cor- like, why Cor- Cormier would want to keep doing this keep doing this his legacy his legacy is intact when he's 40 years old and he's coming off a knockout loss if he's written out now let me say if he's if he's totally comfortable with the risks i can't really argue against that i just my preference would be he would walk away now because I think if he walked away now, he has nothing to be ashamed of. Yeah, I mean, in all fairness, even if he loses to Stipe, again, that's nothing to be ashamed of. But it does put him in a no-win situation where you're not getting another fight with that guy. You're not going back down to 205 and fighting John Jones again. I mean, I mean, he could. If he wanted that fight and he says, I'm going back down to 205 for a third fight with Jones... The UFC would make that fight. Let's be honest with ourselves. Yeah, they probably would. Let's let's be honest. They would do they would they would do that in a New York minute. Whether you like it or not. Whether I like it or not. And I probably wouldn't like that. Um it, it doesn't make sense, but in in this fight kind of does make sense, even though it's a rematch. They're one and one. Um Daniel I mean, Daniel did defend the title at least once. Uh, he granted Stipe a rematch, who and, and Stipe sat out for over a year and waited to get that rematch, and he gave it to him. Um, so arguably, Daniel deserves a rematch. Ar- arguably. There's a good argument, because one-on-one trilogy fight. And, and again... The other contender is Francis, who's already lost to Stipe. And I don't think beats Stipe, so eh, I don't know. Okay, yeah, again, and it's not like the one that Daniel Cormier has over Stipe is some dubious decision or some kind of fluky thing. He knocked him out. Like, these two have finished each other legitimately. There's, so I'm okay with it, and yeah, it sucks for Francis, but again, he also did so poorly in that first fight with Stipe that selling a rematch short of him, let me say this. He has not, if Francis over the, since that fight had comprehensively demonstrated improvement in the areas that Stipe exploited, if there was some new wrinkle to the game, maybe you could make an argument. Well, but that's he, not present. He looked very good since that fight. Come oh, on. yeah. I, I, I'm, I, let me be clear. I'm not trying to throw... Sh- I'm not... We've never know. seen... I mean, I mean, we rarely see guys do to Cain Velasquez what Francis did to him. I mean, he knocked out 
it's what Curtis. He knocked out Curtis Blades, knocked out Cain Velasquez, knocked out Junior Dos Santos. Two I can't be champions. He knocked out the two guys who were the heavyweight division six years ago, right. six seven years ago. That's not. And let me be clear. I don't mean that in saying he's beating guys past their prime. They're but both still good fighters. Here, so I guess the point you're making here, if Francis were to fight Stipe again and lose, that would be devastating for his career. That, especially if he loses like the same way. That's it. Right. Like you never get. You are going to have to sit and wait for Stipe not to be but champion. Look, the sport is a gamble, and you're taking like every fighter takes a big gamble whenever they fight. I'm just not sure about what Daniel is looking for now taking this fight because losing that last fight kind of it it it, it tore up all of his plans. Like the world like the world was his like he was holding all the cards in his last fight and they're all gone and they got flushed down the toilet. So yeah, I I mean, and you know, you mentioned what does he do if he loses? Yeah. And I mean, from an organizational, really hang on, from an organ, well, from an organizational standpoint, what do you do if he wins? Like, let's say he wins, which he very well could, because Daniel Cormier is an incredible fighter. What if he? I mean, is he going to defend the belt again, or is he going to say, "I beat my only real rival at heavyweight"? Um. You know, thanks. Now I get to retire on my own terms. UFC would want Jones to fight at heavyweight, but I don't know. Wait, I mean, again, what do you do if what do you do if Daniel Cormier wins and then retires? I mean, he would have to relinquish the belt, and you would have to have a a, tie, uh, a fight for the vacant belt. Is what you would do. I, mean, I I do understand the procedure in place, but. That's kind of, I think that's kind of what you might be looking be the at. Worst, it wouldn't be the worst thing we've seen happen. Okay, it wouldn't be the actual worst, but what do you do? I mean, who's the fight then? Is it it's uh, Stipe uh, and who? Because the only top two guys are Stipe Francis, and Ngannou. Francis would still be in there. Um, who else do we have hanging around at the top? I mean... No one. <laughs> it's, it's Slim Pickens. Uh, um, I mean... Look, if Jones really wanted to make a serious move up to heavyweight, you could grant him a title shot. If he were, if he were absolutely going to commit to it, yeah, I have. I mean, I would have no problem with John Jones right now jumping the queue to fight for the belt. That's how bad the division is. It's it's kind of because Kane's kind of winding down right now. He's he's doing the pro wrestling thing, and God bless him, he's pretty good at it. <laughs> yeah. You know, I again. I, if he's winding down and wants to move on, fair play, man. You accomplished a lot. And if you're done fighting, be done fighting. Curtis, I, I mean, Curtis Blades is good, but he's already lost to Francis, what, twice now, I think? Twice. Definitively twice, yeah. Derek, I like I liked Derek Lewis, and Lewis is infinitely likable, but I just don't think Lewis is... I mean, when was his last fight? He fought... I feel like he fought recently. He fought was, out... Was, was it the Volkanovski fight? Or, excuse me, Volkov, not Volkanovsky. He lost to Junior in March. Oh, yeah. Junior, ju- so the Junior Dos Santos fight. Um, uh, you've got... Oh, God. You could have had Volkov if Volkov hadn't decided to turn into Stefan Struve in the third round of that Lewis fight. I don't fight. know what you would do. I, I guess in that situation, you would have to do... You'd still have to do Stipe versus... Um, 
Francis again. <laughs> I know. That's it's, it's like, again, Roma, it's like Roma, it's I feel like no matter what, we would have to see Francis versus There's no getting away from that rematch, apparently. Yeah, I, I guess. Um I don't I don't know though. I mean, again, even if Stipe went, if Stipe beats Cormier have, a second time, Ngannou's the next contender. Do we have any new blood at, at heavyweight at all? Um, no, not really. I, Voss, maybe Augusto Sakai, but he's not even, he's not I mean, close. He's done some good work, but he's still, he's still kind of young. He's kind of green. Um, again, you could have had, Volkov would have been in a great position Absent the Derek Lewis fight, and he's fighting Junior in the near future, so maybe you can do something with Volkov, but that's still a hefty maybe. Let's see, and what's going on with Overeem? Um, oh, I think he's got a fight. I'm gonna have to double check that. Um, I want to say he has something, but I could be wrong. Um, Overeem and Overeem lost to Francis already. Yes, he did. Uh, he's won his last two, and Overeem is fighting. I might be mistaken. He might not have something. He has a, I don't know if he has a fight lined up yet. Walt Harris in December. That's what it was. I knew I'd seen it recently. Um, I mean, I mean, Overeem is there if he beats Walt Harris, and he's got. Uh, Overeem's also lost to Stipe. Overeem's lost to, I mean, Overeem's lost <laughs> every kind of major, kind of, like, t- what, he only had one UFC title fight, and that was in Stipe, and he lost that. And then he lost to Francis and Curtis Blades. <sighs> I don't know. It's, it's, it's a really... You know- I will say this, though. If Walt Harris beats Overeem, maybe you can do something with Harris. Because he's on a pretty good run. For heavyweight. I don't want to... I don't even want to entertain that thought. Well, again, it's just the reality of the division. (laughs) I wish it wasn't, because I don't... Walt Harris is not setting the world on fire. The fact that we're even talking and entertaining that thought, kind of... (laughs) I know. It's... it's, Look, and I... I don't think Walt Harris is a bad guy, but his re- his record is thirteen and seven, Robert. I am aware. He his record his UFC record is quite frankly abysmal. Yeah, if it weren't for his recent run, because he's I believe uh, like three zero and one in his last four. Right. So again, decent current run, but oh, and he failed a drug test for his win over Arlovsky of all people. God, that was such a terrible fight too. <laughs> I remember that fight. It was so bad. I mean, I mean, for all intents and purposes, Walt Harris is lucky to even have a job in the UFC. If he were not fighting at heavyweight, yeah. He would not be in the UFC. Probably not. Well, not. maybe. But hang on. If he were fighting at light heavyweight, he'd, he'd be there still. That's Poss- that Possibly. Is, you know, light heavyweight. But anything north, of, anything south of 205, yeah, he's not there. Yeah. But he is competing at heavyweight, and that's the reality of it. Now, look, heavyweight's in kind of a rebuilding phase right now, and the UFC just has to hope that they can so, sign some good heavyweights. So that's that's the fight they're apparently working on. Not yet official. We'll, we'll see. 
All right. Um, last thing that I saw that I wanted to touch on as far as news goes. Former UFC light heavyweight champion and I believe Hall of Famer Rashad Evans has hey. been released by the UFC. He's announced his intention to return to actual to active competition. Uh, why? I will say this. Rashad Evans exists at the perfect apex of former UFC talent and kind of washed that Bella, that winds up in Bellator all the time. Is we that what he wants to? We can finally get the rematch between Rashad Evans and Rampage Jackson. <sighs> Look, that's what he indicated. I don't know what else to tell you. Why? I, he wants to fight. I don't know why. I don't. I think he's shot. I think he's a washed-up fighter. He's a good analyst. He's a nice TV he lost, personality. Lost to Sam Alvey, to Daniel Kelly. Yeah, he went out on a pretty he's significant a, losing streak. I mean, he had he had a he had a whole he had an out. Like he had he he's a good analyst. He's a good broadcaster. Yeah, he's a valuable addition to the, you know, the talking head desk. And I mean, now, now, is Bellator going to give him like serious FU money or something? I don't know. Supposedly it's Bellator. Get, are getting big. We don't even know what guys are really getting paid in Bellator or, you know, really even the UFC for that matter. Uh, at the moment, we know a little bit more about the UFC than Bellator, courtesy of court documents, but. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, I know he's probably got alimony payments and kids and all that. So, I mean, I hope it's not a financial thing. I would agree with that. I do. Look, and much as I don't like guys coming out of retirement because they have they still have that competitive drive. I think you need to know when you're done. But if it's not a financial thing, then hopefully I hate to say this, but hopefully if he does just, you know, get knocked out a couple of times, he can then kind of reassess and go, no, I'm re I really am done. Whereas if it's financial, he might wind up dragging it well, on. Last time Rashad was a relevant fighter to me was when he fought John Jones, or I guess around the time he fought Nagara. Yeah. When he lost the little Nog fight. Yeah. That was probably the death knell of his relevancy. Cause the fight with Hendo was awful. I mean, he knocked out Chael Sonnen at light heavyweight. So, I mean, you know, it's Chael Sonnen. And then... Another rematch that Bellator can promote. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, Chael's more seriously retired at this point, though. Uh, that, but... Oh, my God. Um, look, I, again, look, I... I mean, it's his... It's ultimately his decision. I, just, I, don't get, I don't get it. Again, I don't either, but I'm also not... Even if he's badly the money, I feel like he could do other things to make money. At this I, am, I mean, I have to imagine that unless he's under a very, very strict um, contract with you know, for his broadcast duties that does that restricts what he's allowed to do, I imagine there's other things he could be doing. But I don't know, man. If he wants to fight and he can get licensed, then. Such is the world we live in. Uh, I, I know, I, I mean, I know, like, kind of 
he probably wanted to continue fighting and he wasn't ready to accept being dumb. But like, I mean, his record in the last seven years was not good. It pretty, I think, I think Sonnen was his only win in that period of time. And Dan Henderson. Oh yeah. He had that mediocre fight with Hendo. Hendo and Sonnen in 13. And then it was a downward. And then he was, and then he was, had, didn't even fight for two years. And he had injuries. Yeah. That kept him out for a long time. Had an, and then came back, had an, a very just underwhelming performance against Ryan Bader. I mean, I, God, that fight sucked. I mean, there's nothing to say as far as this goes. Like, you're a washed up fighter. If you're going to fight, you're washed. That's all there is to it. And that's harsh. And I don't have any, I don't have anything negative I mean, look, to say about Rashad Evans, but he is washed. I, I mean, look, no one wants to end your career the way Rashad did, but I mean, you keep fighting. That is how it ends. I mean, whatever. You want to turn into another... He's an adult, you know, it's his life. It is. And he's going to turn into another version of BJ Penn. I don't know. I don't... I mean, having interviewed Rashad, I don't feel like it'll get that bad, but we'll see. I would certainly hope not. I don't wish the current state of BJ Penn on too many people. I, I mean... Rashad has always seemed like a reasonably intelligent individual well he um he graduated from the university of michigan yeah 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 and i know i mean look you can make jokes about you know student athletes but but again he's he's been a good for the last several years he's been a good kind of ambassador for the sport i think yeah he's done a lot of good stuff that is his fights were abysmal and he was not he hasn't looked good in a long time but whatever that happens to every again. That happens to every fighter at some point. Do it long enough, and this is what happens. Like that's just the reality of it. And Rashad just kind of it just kind of happened to him at an earlier age than than uh, than, uh, than Cormier or Anderson Silva. Yeah. All right. That was the last major news piece I had. So uh, anything that I missed that you wanted to touch on? Uh, let's see. Uh, we're we're hearing talk about GSP versus Habib again, and I think Dane is doing two things with that. I think he's okay. testing the waters to see how the fan base will react. It is easy, you know. And yeah, he's also putting a little pressure on you know Tony and Khabib, on Tony and Khabib to make sure they come to terms under that they sign the fight under the UFC's terms. We'll so see. He's, he's kind of doing a little bit of the public negotiation Tony, type of thing there. I mean. Tony's an odd cat. Um, now, look, I'm going to hold... Now, look, Dana White is Dana White. He says weird stuff, and you kind of can't really... You can't really take much of what he says seriously because he is a promoter, and he's trying... Most of what he says is... What I'm trying to say is he says things from the promoter standpoint, and he's always trying to, you know, leverage the UFC side of things, Right. So that is his job. But in this case, I will hold him to, to the BMF belt and the rock handing the BMF belt to the winner at UFC 244. Yeah, I really hope they make that work. 
How and, how ironic would it be if there's some crazy shenanigans there? I imagine there will be some kind of shenanigans given the part, <laughs> given the participants. But look, but. look at, I think as a special one-time thing, I think it's fine. It's a new. It, it, it's in Madison Square Garden. This is a fan favorite fight. The fans want to see this fight. This fight's getting a lot of attention. You know, as as a one-off, just special thing. Yeah, do it. Do it. It's a gimmick, but at least it's a gimmick for a good fight. You know, it's not a free. This is not a freak show fight. Correct. This not is, at all. So they they they're adding a little gimmick there. I do not see what's wrong with that. You know, I did a, a kind of a podcast thing last night with. Uh, Mark and Pat, and yeah. when, when talking about this fight in particular, the way Pat phrased it to me was, you know, I don't think there's four, you can come up with four fights in the UFC you'd rather see than Nate Diaz and Jorge Masvidal. And I thought about it, and I could come up with two. And that's it. Um, well, one one for me is definitely Tony versus Khabib. Tony and Khabib, absolutely number the number one fight in the entire uh, sport uh, I want to see. Four more, I mean... Just three more from that point. Probably, there There are probably a few I could think of. The only other one I could come up with that I would rather watch than this fight was uh, Tony Ferguson and Justin Gagey. That'd be a good fight. And and every right? all the other fights that, even if I get to, you know, straight up fantasy book, I don't think there's anything that... Oh, makes... I, 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 oh I know one. Tony versus Connor. Yeah, I mean, don't First, get me wrong. I'd watch it. Probably and, different than what you're thinking. I mean, look, I'm, I would be down to watch Tony rearrange Connor's face. Don't get me wrong. I but, mean, I would. Wa- I want to see that more than Diaz Moscow. I there's nothing involving Connor that piques my interest at this point in time. Uh, but yeah, I. But I, again. I don't think I could – I could come up with one or two. I couldn't come up with a solid four. So I'm okay with them doing that. Four, I hope – I don't know if I can think of four that are, like, from a fun – on paper, a fun, fan-friendly perspective. But hopefully it, hopefully it delivers. With all – now it's getting all this hype and attention. Hopefully it will deliver on, in that case. And we don't have, like, five rounds of just stupidity. Well, on the plus side, um, I know Jorge's had some less than engaging fights in the in the past. Um, by contrast, Nate I mean, Jorge has throughout his career has been hit and miss. Yeah. It's undeniable. Uh, again, uh, on the plus side, Nate Diaz, even when he loses, tends to be in watchable, uh, entertaining fights, if nothing else. So. I, I have a lot of I have a I have a lot of hope for that fight, and if the Rock's the one who can be in there to give the belt yeah. to the winner, you know, yeah, go so for there it. better be that BMF belt, and the Rock better be there. Yeah, assuming the Rock's schedule doesn't get crazy because the man works like a beast. Well, yeah, like they can't like like they can't make an arrangement to fly out the Rock for like five minutes in New York City to just walk in. To the Madison Square Garden to put a belt on a win. Yeah, yeah, they can make that right. They can make that happen. In all honesty, I hope they do that. They do like a stupid belt presentation where before the main event, the Rock comes down the fighter title presenting the belt. 
I just, just show it off, and then, it, then they have no the fighters sense, come out. No offense to Ariel Helwani, but like his whole attitude about this is really silly. Like he's comparing it to like the NW, like the NWO spray painting of the letters on the. That's a pro wrestling angle, and yes, I'm aware that UFC has taken cues and ideas from pro wrestling, but come on, this it's just this is this is a fun gimmick for the fans. The fans like the idea. They're doing this fight mainly for the fan attention, and it's working. Milk it a little. It's a promotional thing. Milk it a little bit. I think don't do this on a regular basis as a one-time, one-off thing. I don't see a problem with that. Yeah. How is it any different than you give the Ultimate Fighter winner that little plaque or trophy or whatever? It's like a victory trophy. What? It, but but why does Ariel Hawani think a trophy or a medal is fine? But a belt, but a belt is too is too problematic. I don't get that. It makes no sense. I don't all. get it either, especially when you have the you know UFC brass in on you know uh, under oath in depositions acknowledging that their champions are not champions of the world, but champions of the night. Like they're on record acknowledging not that they're not allowed to out, BS. Giving out, giving out uh, uh, interim belts like candy, like candy and party favors. So I mean. You can argue that a BMF that a one-time BMF belt means more than an interim belt, which are uh, depending on the interim belt. Th- there have certainly been interim champions that I think matter mean less. Covington, who got the interim belt and they stripped it of him when the champion was ready to defend his belt again. Or Tony, who gets injured and then sorry, no more belt for you. Like it happens. Uh, so again, I, I have. Again, I'm not the biggest fan of, you know, silly gimmickry. And if even I can kind of wind up getting on board with, all right, fine, you know, go ahead. Let's have a little fun with this. Everyone else should be able to, too, because I'm. Now, look, now, if there were to be some some sort of crazy shenanigans here, would I point and laugh? Yes. I plan on pointing and laughing a lot at that fight in some respects. You but but you you almost seem to invoke the chaos more than anything. I've in, I've accepted the fact that there is no getting away from it. You you root for you you invoke and summon you're the one that summons Clucky. I most certainly do not. I hate that chicken with a burning passion. I drove an hour and a half into the salt flats uh, west of the Great Salt Lake chasing that bastard once. Okay. <laughs> well um I'm all for I'm all for it. just this one time. I think it's all okay. I think I, I see nothing wrong with it. Yeah, again, as the occasional one off, if they do like one of these silly things like once every two years, I that's probably about my tolerance for it. But since it, they've it, never done this more acceptable than CM Punk's it's more acceptable than CM Punk's fights. Oh, absolutely. So and Ariel, and, and not to mention the fact that Ariel went on that big rant after CM Punk fought, getting all upset about Joe Rogan's comments about CM Punk fighting. Yeah, how dare the UFC commentator commentate the action as such? Look, I, I don't hold anything, I do not begrudge CM Punk shooting his shot, so to speak. I begrudge the UFC doing it. I somewhat begrudge Punk's hypocrisy for complaining for years about celebrity status in wrestling holding other people down and then instantly doing the same thing when it benefits him. Yeah. But 
I'm, again, mostly I begrudge the UFC for signing it when you should have known better. And, and yeah, I don't know. Again, that I, whole I begrudge them putting him in a fight with a guy they, well, eh. I, I mean, you can't learn to fight in the UFC. You just can't. You can't. You as really can't. And look, I love, I love Punk and what he's done for wrestling. You know, and now he's doing other things. I, I think good on him. But signing him to fight MMA in the UFC should not have happened. In hindsight, but it, it really should not have happened. The That's UFC great. was too desperate for pay-per-view and star power at the time. It was... I mean, even then they announced his signing and then he didn't fight for two years. Because, I mean, he hadn't even started training yet. I know. Again, that's, that should tell you how bad a move it was. Uh, all right. Uh, at, the, at the time, Connor was not really a pay-per-view draw yet. Yeah, remember that? They announced his signing before they before Connor. Ronda was still, Ronda was still sort of marinating at the time a little bit, you know? Yeah. Uh. Um, it, it was a bad move, but whatever. Yeah, they were they were just in a bad pay-per-view spot, and they got a little bit desperate, and that's how it played out. All right. Uh, anything else? Or I think we're good to do plugs here. I think we're here. ready to call it a night. All right, so you've been off for a week or so. You've seen movies. You've done conventions. What do you want to plug? Uh, latest reviews, Ad Astra with Brad Pitt, Heart of Darkness, Apocalypse Now in Space. Not bad. Um, the Goldfinch, just the most pretentious garbage Oscar bait you you will see this year. If you enjoy that, the Goldfinch might be for you. Uh, next reviews, uh, I will be doing, I believe, Lucy in the Sky, possibly the Joker, or I guess just Joker in this place. Um, so we'll see. We'll see how those go. <coughs> In a movie, um, I think, called The Report with Adam Driver that might be getting some awards buzz. So, yeah, going to be doing a few of the art house things coming up. So look forward to that. And uh, I've got a couple interviews coming for the 411 Wrestling Podcast. Um, so be on the lookout for that on our YouTube channel, uh, the Apple, uh, the App Store channel, uh, or Apple Podcasts. Uh, the 411 Wrestling Interviews podcast. Um, right now, you can check out my interview with Teal Piper, who um, will be debuting soon in uh, Wow Women of Wrestling. She is getting into wrestling now and following in her father's footsteps and starting a career in pro wrestling. So we'll see how she does. That's about yeah, it. You can. You can follow all of the 411 Podcasting Network shows, including the 411 on Wrestling with Larry Zonka, Jeremy Lambert, which is, if you're a professional wrestling fan, you got to listen to those two, because I don't know too many people who watch more wrestling than Larry Zonka. So you can follow all of us wherever you get your podcasts. Again, Apple Music, uh, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Uh the for, uh, YouTube, if that's where you prefer to go. Uh, and, of course, the 411mania.com website will, has the show. So however you find us, please. Um, as for myself, uh, I mentioned it briefly earlier, I got together with Mark Radlich and Pat Mullen, and we did kind of a watch-along alternate commentary for a couple of Tommy Morrison fights. Uh, 
we amused ourselves. I can't speak to anything else, but if you're interested in that, give it a, you can give that a listen. This Tuesday on Damn You Hollywood, Mark Radlich and I will be reviewing Rambo Last Blood, which apparently has pissed off a lot of critics. Um, haven't seen the movie yet, but <laughs> I will see it before the review and then we'll. So you're have... actually going to see this one. I am. Okay. I've seen all the Rambo movies. I actually really enjoy uh, Rambo how, 4. How unfortunate for you. Eh. We'll see. Not Rambo 4, it's John Rambo. Oh, John Rambo then, okay. It came out 11 years ago, by the way. I don't know. I, re- I, I went to see that in theaters. Had a lot of fun with it. Um, so, I will see this one and we'll... See, it doesn't even, it doesn't even look like a Rambo movie. Uh, I don't know. Again, I'll see it and we'll talk about it. And then <laughs> I, I I don't really have an opinion. Again, I haven't seen the film yet. On Thursday. See, won't see Hobbs and Shaw. I saw Hobbs and Shaw. Okay. I didn't want to see Hobbs and Shaw, but I saw it. And what did you think of Hobbs and Shaw? Meh. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Mark and I reviewed Hobbs and Shaw, so for those of you interested, you can find that also on Damn You Hollywood. Will you see uh, Goblin Slayer, Goblin's Crown, if it gets a theatrical release? Um, I don't know. Okay. I'm not sure I'd pay for it. I would. I will try to find Stand it. Stand and watch it if it becomes available to you. Yeah, if I can, yeah, again, if I find it streaming, some, if if it winds up on Netflix or you know Amazon Prime, yeah, I'll watch it. I have a question. Sure. Since you know tabletop and D and D, do guns exist in the D and D kind of realm? Depends on. I mean, that's largely an individual DM question. Okay. Um, some of it also depends on the setting. I think the Eberron setting ha- is a bit more friendly towards firearms of of a few different types. Um, the oh crap, what was that? Uh, what was that class? God, oh, why am I blanking on this? And I asked. Uh, the, okay, hang on. There's there's a subclass for the Artificer, I believe it was that just has a uh, a literal like magical gun as their weapon that's what their entire uh, subclass is built I, around. I ask this because this this story i'm obsessed with goblin slayer which is become an anime is sort of heavily inspired by D. basically everything like has borrowed basically everything about its premise and setting from D. basically it's like it's like people playing like one big D campaign and they are getting to this territory where they're bringing in firearms. So I'm curious, like, since I'm not as familiar with D and D as you, how that how that works in this in a medieval in a medieval fantasy type setting. Yeah, again, that's largely uh, that winds up being essentially a dungeon master call. Um, I mean, Pathfinder had had the gunslinger subclass, I believe. I just and then, want to see like uh, uh, the, a bag of holding show up, which we've yet to see. That would be nice. I mean, if you follow Critical Role, then you, in Matt Mercer's campaign, there there are gunslingers. He completely, essentially, homebrewed oh, right. the the subclass uh, when they started when they tra- when they transferred their game from Pathfinder to D and D Fifth Edition. He uh, because one of his players, Talison Jaffe, was playing a gunslinger. He just ported it over, and he's he, he I think he officially released it on like the DM's Guild or something. So 
There are systems in place for the utilization of firearms. Whether or not an individual game allows them is entirely up to the dungeon master or the table or however you make those decisions. Thank you for that tangent, Robert. I appreciate it. No problem. Uh, Speaking of fantasy settings, Thursday there will be a TV party on the Radlich and Broadcasting Network. Myself and Mark Radlich will get together to review Disenchantment Season 2. Which uh, is going to be an interesting discussion. Mark and I had slightly different experiences with it. But, uh, so you can tune in for that. And again, Saturday will be the four, will be a coverage of UFC in Denmark. Oh, this Friday, I, for those who might care, I had, I agreed to take over three weeks of covering impact for Larry Zonka on Fridays. This Friday will be my last one of those for the month of September. So stop by if you're interested in watching impact, uh, say hi. Uh, I'm over there jumping on that sort of grenade for Larry on occasion. But that's everything for me. We'll be back here next week to review UFC on ESPN Plus 18. And make sure my math is correct here. Yeah, we're going to be previewing UFC 243, which, uh, oh boy. Oh boy. I am so hyped for this main event. There's not much in MMA I want more right now than Robert Whitaker and Israel Adesanya. I am praying that fight holds together. That's going to be so good. Even if it uh, even if it's a rapid knockout, I am just I just want those two to fight. Um, it's a pretty good card overall. The co-main event right now is Ally Quinta and Dan Hooker, which is a darn good fight. So we'll have a full preview of that next week. I hope you'll all come back for that. Thank you all very much for your continued support of the podcast. Until next time, on behalf of Jeff, I'm Robert Winfrey. Stay safe out there and please continue to be well, be safe, and behave.